Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Now the feast of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Let's pray together. <coughs> Lord, as we come to you today, I pray that you would help us to understand the heart and the choices of Judas. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, The Passion According to Judas. The Passion According to, the, to Judas. We are in the midst of a little three-week series. We began last week looking at the passion. That When I say the passion, by the way, if you're watching online, if you're here, the passion is the passion week, what we call the passion week, the last week of Christ that began with uh, the, the triumphant entry of Christ. And uh, we call that Palm Sunday, which is today. We celebrate Palm Sunday. And then it ended up with the crucifixion, burial, and the resurrection of Christ that next Sunday morning. That all happened in one week. And so much happened during that week. I, I highlighted a few of the of the events uh, of that week last Sunday. And so you'll need to go back and watch that message if you missed that to see the highlights of that week. But last week we looked at the Passion Week, the triumphant entry of, in Jerusalem and the Passion Week uh, from the perspective of the disciples. Today we're going to look at the Passion Week from the perspective of, of all people, Judas. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, we're going to look at the Passion Week from the perspective of the angels in the tomb. <laughs> now, I'm going to be speculating just a little bit because they didn't talk a lot. But, uh, but uh, I think it'll be a wonderful uh, discussion and message next week. The Passion Week from the perspective of the angels. And so you want to be here for that. So today is the Passion according to Judas. You've probably heard of St. Paul's Cathedral, St. Jude's Hospital, St. Luke's Methodist Church, but you've never seen St. Judas Orphanage or St. Judas Missionary Baptist Church. And there's a reason. <laughs> I, we like to name our children good biblical names, even sometimes after the apostles. I have three children. The first one I was going to name Gabriel. Uh, but he was a she, and so we named him Gabrielle because he's a her. And so Gabrielle is here this morning. And by the way, Gabrielle, I'm, I'm thankful that you're a her. Uh, it worked out really well, or has so far. And then I have two sons. Of course, we gave them good, strong biblical names, Luke and Isaac, uh, hoping that somehow that would rub off on them. I, maybe that's why we do that. And there are so many good, strong biblical names. There are Pauls and Peters and Andrews and Johns and Timothys, but you never see parents name their kids Judas. Not, not the beginning, anyway. Um, one website has over 26,000 baby names in their database of 
internationally popular names, but Judas is not in the list at all. And there's a reason. Jesus had a half-brother named Judas. Did you know that? Wrote a book uh, in the New Testament. But neither he nor the Bible wanted him to be confused with Judas Iscariot. So when he penned the letter uh, for the New Testament, or that ended up in the New Testament, he used the diminutive of his name, which was the name Jude. And there's a reason he used Jude instead of Judas. So what happened? Where did Judas go so wrong? Well, I'm going to give you just three reasons today. and We're going to look at the life and the ministry of Judas, of all things, on Palm Sunday. And there is good reason for that. The first is, and there's just no way around it, I'll get straight to it. The first reason that Judas went wrong was that Judas didn't believe. Judas just did not believe. He did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah in the end. He did not believe that Jesus was deity, that he was God incarnate. And uh, we know in, in Scripture, for example, unlike other disciples, Judas never referred to Jesus as Lord. He only referred to him as rabbi or teacher. He did not believe. Now, one of the passages that I'm going to use to, that will share that with us is Acts chapter 1, verse 15. Acts chapter 1, verse 15 says this. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture has, uh, had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke a long time ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now let me begin by telling you this is a heartbreaking statement by Peter. I, I just feel his pain when he says this. And there are several things that, actually four things that he mentioned in this very short sentence or two. Number one is Judas was prophesied. Did you know that? In the Old Testament there were prophecies about Judas. That there would be one who betrayed he was a fulfillment of prophecy. Number two, he served as a guide for evil. And that's how Paul, excuse me, how Peter says it. He says um, uh, it had to be fulfilled. And Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. So he's talking about his betrayal. He, he's referring to Judas as a traitor. And if there's anything that you would note Judas for, it's the only thing that we would note Judas for is the fact that he was a traitor. Now here's the interesting thing. Judas did some good things in his life. You know how I know that? Because when Jesus was sitting at the, at the table with the disciples on that last supper, before Jesus is going to hand out the bread and the wine and pass the cup and, and, and inaugurate that Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate this morning, by the way. Before he did that, he said to the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. Do you remember that? We're going to look at that in depth in just a minute. But when he said that, all 11 of the other disciples simultaneously as one pointed at Judas and said, there's your guy. Nope. They didn't do that at all. In fact, just the opposite. 
They all whispered around among themselves because they had no idea. They had no idea. And then they would ask Jesus one at a time, is it, is it me? Is it me? And Peter told, I think John, because John was sitting by Jesus, told John to say to Jesus, just tell us, who, who is it? They had no idea. Which tells me that Judas had done some good things in his life. He probably preached sermons. Led in prayers. People may have been healed through his hand when Jesus sent them out as 12 and then as 72. He may have done, God may have done miracles through Judas. But in the end, he did not believe because he served as a guide for evil. He's prophesied about, he served as a guide for evil. And here's the heartbreaking thing. Number three, he was one of us. Jesus, in fact, in this passage, Peter is not referring to one of the Pharisees, those awful religious leaders, or the teachers of the law who wanted Jesus dead, or the scribes. He's talking about one of the 12 disciples. He was one of us. And he didn't believe. How is that possible? Judas was there at the Sermon on the Mount. He heard all those brilliant teachings of Jesus, those beautiful parables. Judas was there when Jesus fed the multitudes. In fact, he helped hand out all of that fish and bread that they didn't even have. Miraculously, it's appearing. Judas saw that, witnessed that, and was a part of that great miracle. Judas saw Jesus walk on water. He was in the boat. He saw him walking on water, and he still didn't believe. Judas was there when Jesus healed the lame, cured the blindness of the blind, caused the blind to see. Judas was there when Jesus resurrected the dead on more than one occasion. He saw that and still didn't believe. That is heartbreaking. And so he was one of us. And then he says the fourth thing. He says he was one of our number and... Go back to the verse if you could. And he shared in this ministry. He was one of us. He was one of the 12. And he also shared in this ministry. As I said, he went out preaching. He did the things that a disciple is supposed to do. He worked hard. He gave up a lot to follow Jesus. And so here he is doing the things he's supposed to do. There's only one problem. He did not believe. And believe. Today, there are many who simply won't believe. Are you one of those? It doesn't matter how much evidence you give them. What logic you give them. Or what biblical evidence that you give them. Or how many verses you quote to them. Or how much you pray for them. They just won't believe. Jesus could descend through the clouds with 20 million angels surrounding him. And they still would stick their nose in the air and go, nope, I don't believe it. Nothing. Nothing's going to convince them otherwise. And that was Judas. He'd seen the glory of Jesus. The power of Jesus. The brilliance of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus. Do you know that... Jesus loved Judas as much as he loved Peter or any of the others. He loved Judas as much as he loved his own mother. And he knew he was loved by Jesus. And he still betrayed him. 
Wow. So when Peter says he was one of our number and he shared in this ministry, how heartbroken he must have been to have to say that. But there are many people in our world that just won't believe. But sadly, that's not the biggest heartbreaking truth of this passage. Again, he's not talking about a Pharisee here or somebody from the outside, not talking about a dirty old Roman, those Gentiles. He's talking about somebody on the inside, in the church, in leadership. Judas was in ministry. I read a recent article from January of this year. This year, a recent survey on church leadership. In this case, this article and this survey concerned pastors from many different denominations in the United States concerning their faith, the faith of pastors in the United States, all different denominations, and what their biblical worldview was. And this is how they talk about it. Christian researcher George Barna says, and he defines a biblical worldview uh, as including a belief in the absolute moral truth as defined by Scripture. That is, what is right and what is wrong is not found in the Constitution or our laws or any other country. It's found in the Bible. As well as acceptance of six core biblical beliefs, and this is what creates a Christian worldview, these six core beliefs. Number one, the accuracy of biblical teaching, that is the Bible, is telling you the truth. Number two, the sinless nature of Jesus, that he never committed a sin in his life. Number three, the literal existence of Satan, that Satan is not just a metaphor for the bad decisions that we make, but he is a literal living entity of evil. Number four, the omnipotence and omniscience of God. That is, God is all-powerful and all-knowing. And number five, salvation by grace alone. That we are saved by grace, by the grace of God. Not any work or deed that we do, but it is the grace of God. And finally, number six, the personal responsibility that you and I have as believers in Christ to evangelize, to share our faith with others. These are the core basics of the Bible. The, the basics of our faith, this is what identifies us as Christians, followers of Christ. And so in this recent survey from earlier this year, they surveyed Protestant pastors of all different denominations. And the Barna Research Group said that according to their survey, only half, 51% of pastors passed the test on whether they possess a biblical worldview. Half. Of pastors. Southern Baptists, it says, of the, of the pastors surveyed, Southern Baptists scored the highest with 71%, while the United Methodist Church finished at the bottom with just 27% of their pastors having a Christian worldview. Now, I'm not here to bash the Methodist Church, although that's heartbreaking to hear that. But as Southern Baptists, it's heartbreaking to me, even though we won the contest, if there is such a thing. We want it pitifully with 71%. That tells me that 29% of Southern Baptist pastors don't believe the basics of our faith. And I, I don't tell you that to depress you. Here's what I want you to know from that. Many of you will not live the rest of your life in Azel. 
Many of you will not live the rest of your life here at First Baptist Church. I hope you do. You're welcome here. But many of you will go to other towns or other states and some maybe even other nations and you'll worship in other churches. And so here's my plea to you. When you go to those churches, listen very closely to what that pastor is saying, to what they're teaching at that church. And don't, don't, don't stick up your nose and be all judgmental and use words like discernment and all that kind of thing. That's not what I'm telling you to do. And if you don't jump up in the service and say, you're wrong or anything like that. But you need to listen. You have a Bible. You, you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you're a believer in Christ, you listen. Because if you're in a church that's not teaching these core principles, don't stay there. In this church, as your pastor, if I ever preach anything that goes against the core principles of a Christian worldview, those six principles that I just mentioned, you tell me, again, don't, not in the middle of the service, but come to me later and say, Pastor, I, I'm reading my Bible and I'm having a concern about something you said Sunday. You have the right to do that. I'm not anybody magical. I'm just a person trying to understand the word of God just like everybody else. And chances are, I want to believe that what you heard, it was just a misunderstanding and I would love an opportunity to clarify. Uh, but it, it is alarming to me how many are in the ministry, count themselves as one of the disciples of Christ, and yet in the end don't believe. Secondly, Judas opened himself up to Satan. Number one, he didn't believe. Number two, he opened himself up to Satan. John chapter 13, verse 21. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Now let me stop there just a moment. This is the Last Supper. This is the moment where he discloses or reveals to the disciples that there's a traitor in their midst. Verse 22, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is, who is that? John, that's John. The disciple that Jesus loved was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned this to the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. It's funny, Peter didn't, you know, he, obviously he's within feet or inches of John. So he's only a few feet from Jesus instead of, and this is really weird for Peter because he usually is all mouth. But here, just in case it's him, he says to John, you ask him, <laughs> who is it? We got to know. Uh, verse 24, Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, what does it say? Satan entered into him. That's the second time it tells us that. Our, our, our very first passage for today said the same thing. What you're about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to them. They're, they're not the brightest bunch. <laughs> they still have no idea what's going on. 
Even though he told them, I, I would think surely they're watching for the bread. I don't know. Verse 29, since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Now again, the question is, why? Why would Judas do such a thing? Now there are several theories. And some say, well, he was trying to force Jesus' hand. He's trying to help him out. You know, Jesus was a little bit gun-shy or a little bit slow, and Judas wants to prod him into becoming the Messiah. That's not really the case. First of all, Jesus has already come into Jerusalem now on the donkey some days ahead. And so Jesus is doing what he's supposed to be doing. G Judas had other intentions. It was not good intentions. It was evil intentions. We know that because Satan entered into him. Judas honestly was greedy and dishonest. He was greedy and dishonest. You know, we only have one discourse between Jesus and Judas in all the Bible. Now, they spoke together often, but none of those conversations ever made it into the Bible except for one conversation in John chapter 12. Jesus was in Bethany, and this was only six days before the triumphal entry. Bethany is just a hop and a skip. It's a stone's throw, as we say here in Texas, to Jerusalem. It's just outside of Jerusalem. He is there at the house of Lazarus, whom he has just recently resurrected from the dead. So needless to say, Lazarus is happy to have him in his house. If anybody brings you back to life, you want to welcome those into your home. His sisters are there, Mary and Martha. And while Martha is preparing everything, Mary takes a, 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 about a pint of perfume, very expensive perfume, and she pours it on the feet of Jesus to honor him. Now, the disciples watched all of this and they kept their mouth shut wisely. Not even Peter said anything. But one of them just couldn't help himself. Who was it? It was Judas. He was all concerned about the cost of that perfume. And we find out in John chapter 12, verse 4, says this. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now let me stop right there and say, isn't it extraordinary that people who don't believe tend to think they are the most righteous? So here's Judas, a non-believer in Christ, acting all righteous. And here's his implication. You, Jesus, allowed her to sin. You allowed her to do wrong. And it's just wrong of her to spend all of that on little old you. It's just you. Verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And so we see that Judas uh, didn't believe. We see that Judas opened himself up to Satan, and Satan got to him through his greed. Now, for you and me, I'm telling you, Satan knows us well. You may not be greedy. Maybe you are, but maybe you're not. But you and I struggle somewhere. And Judas knows right where to get you. And he's always trying to pull God's people away from God. 
He's always trying to bring you to a destructive end. And that's what happened to Judas. And then third, lastly, and perhaps saddest of all, Judas missed out. He missed out. He missed out on several amazing things. Things that never had happened before and never would happen again. He missed it. First, Judas missed the opportunity for forgiveness. Judas missed the opportunity forgiveness for forgiveness. There was an opportunity for him. I guarantee you, had Judas gone to Jesus on the cross or after the resurrection and said, Lord, what I did was despicable and excusable, and he humbled himself before Jesus and pled for forgiveness, I guarantee you Jesus would have forgiven him. Do you remember the first thing that Jesus said when he was on the cross? Father, forgive them. And he would have forgiven Judas. He missed out on the opportunity to be forgiven. Oh, listen to me this morning. Don't miss it. Do not miss out this Easter on the opportunity to receive the forgiveness of God. There's nothing like it. All that weight is on you. All that evil and all the bad things that we've ever done or said or thought, all can be wiped out by the blood of Christ. There's nothing quite like that, by the way. There's no chemical you can take. There's no pill. There's no counselor you can go to. There's no program you can watch on TV or online that will take care of all of that weight in your life except for Christ in him alone. Don't miss it. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 3, says this, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I've sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Now, you might read that and think, oh, well, there you go. He felt terrible. Well, feeling, the ter feeling terrible is not the same as repentance. You can have regret and remorse and not be repentant. Our prisons are filled with people. They feel terrible about what they did because they're in jail. They have tremendous remorse because now they realize the pain that they caused to not only their own life, but to their families, to their children, to their loved ones, and maybe even the others that they harmed. They, they have tremendous remorse. But some of them lack repentance. They never come to this place to where they say, Lord, will you forgive me? This was wrong. I repent. That's why so many people who commit crimes and go off to prison, when they get out of prison, they go back and recommit the same crimes over and over again because they never repented in prison. Now, I'll tell you, that doesn't always happen. There are people who give their life to Christ in prison, changes their life forever. Prison is a wonderful place for the Holy Spirit to dwell and to convict. But for many, they don't ever learn. They feel bad but they don't come to faith in Christ. They don't come to the forgiveness of Christ. He felt bad. Judas was filled with remorse, but not with 
repentance. Do you remember when David was caught, King David in the Old Testament was caught in his sin? God's prophet came to him and said, I know what you did. God told me. And David had done the worst things you can imagine. He committed adultery against his wife and with another man's wife. And to hide it, he had that man murdered. He had that man killed. He was a murderer and an adulterer. That's pretty bad. But David repented, genuinely repented. That's what we have in Psalm 51 where he pleads for forgiveness. In Psalm 51, 3, it says this. For I know my transgressions. He's saying this to God. And my sin is always before me against you, God. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And that's a beautiful song. Uh, when you go home, read the rest of it. Where he's pouring out his heart to God and God is faithful to forgive him. Even of those terrible sins. But sadly, Judas never got it. He never realized the true purpose of Christ's coming was forgiveness. One of the thieves, one of the criminals that was crucified with him, there was forgiveness for that criminal on the cross. Forgive him. Instead of Jesus, uh, excuse me, Judas was simply remembered as the world's worst traitor. But he missed it. Oh, wouldn't it have been awesome? Oh, wouldn't it have been awesome? Had, uh, by the way, Judas was not the only one that betrayed Jesus on that night. Do you remember? Peter betrayed Jesus three times. Three times in a row. But Peter was repentant. He faced his Savior after the resurrection, and Jesus forgave him and reinstated him. Wouldn't it have been awesome for Judas to have repented before the, the cross of Christ and the feet of Christ, and Jesus had forgiven him, and he spent the rest of his life sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? That he would bring hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands to faith in Jesus Christ. That, he would, that God would use him to perform miracle after miracle like he did with the other apostles. And he also missed this. He missed in the opportunity to die for Jesus. Like the other apostles. That is an honor, by the way, to die for your Savior. That's an honor to get to do that. And he missed it. And that's heartbreaking. And then lastly, Judas missed the resurrection. Wow, the biggest event in the history of the world. He wasn't there. Just a few more days or hours. And he would have gotten to witness that. But he wasn't there. Judas missed Easter Sunday. He missed hearing the women rush into the house where the disciples were hiding. And they're excitingly telling them, we saw him. We went to the tomb and there were just angels there. His body wasn't there. And then when we came back home, as we started back, Jesus appeared to us. We saw him. And he wasn't there. All the disciples heard that. Except for Judas. He was dead by then. He missed it. He missed the appearing of Jesus in the room where all the disciples were there. He, he missed the opportunity to see with his own eyes, hear with his own ears. And touch the wounds of Jesus. He missed it. How many people go through Easter? They hunt eggs. Maybe they go to church. They get the day off. But they miss Jesus. They miss the resurrection. 
Lastly, uh, Judas missed the whole purpose of his life. What was the purpose of Judas' life? God created Judas for a purpose just like he created you for a purpose. Same purpose, by the way. And that is to bring God glory. Your function in life, my function in life is to bring God glory. Or the, the truth is we do that through having a relationship with God. We call it a relationship. God made you because he loves you. Our function, as I've told you many times, is to love God back. That's what we're here for. That's what we do. We love God back. And we love God back by giving him glory in his life or in our life, through our life. So Judas had the opportunity. He missed it. The day of Pentecost was just weeks later. The disciples are all in that room, along with the rest of the followers. And suddenly the Holy Spirit descends upon them. Wouldn't you have loved to see the Holy Spirit infill Judas? Oh my goodness. And God could do that. He did it with Paul, who was Saul, who hated Christians, persecuted Christians. And God just transformed his life, made a complete 180. He was the worst kind of guy you could imagine, hateful and mean, and God made him the most loving guy ever. And he could have done that for Judas, and we'll do it for you if you let him. But Judas missed it. He missed so much. So today, you and I are sitting at the Lord's table. He's about to pass bread to you and the cup. Are you ready? Ready to believe in faith? To renounce evil and sin in your life, to ready to receive and remember the grace of God through the blood of Jesus.